I think authentic leadership is 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 the, is, the, is the way of the future. I think you know people will follow people that are authentic. They will actually get get behind them because leadership to me is a is is, is a trait and management is a management is, is a skill you can learn. But leadership is all about people and you know, it's sort of an, an, an inherent trait. Hello, I'm Andrew May, and this is the NAB Business Fit Podcast. In this series, we chat with experts in a range of fields delving into their world to find out what fuels them and to learn lessons that can be applied to running a small business. We'll chat about how they have adjusted to new ways of working and share stories about adapting and navigating through challenging times. But first, a bit of background on me. I've been self-employed for over 25 years, from a lawn mowing business in Dubbo during high school to traveling the world as a fitness trainer with sporting teams, to now running workplace performance consultancy, Strive Stronger. Small business is in my veins. I'm a performance strategist and leadership coach, which means getting the best out of people in business and in their life, which is exactly why I'm really excited about this podcast, to reach more people with lessons and inspiring stories. Today, I'm joined by Anna Marinkovic. Anna is currently leading Australia's largest small business bank at NAB and is actively supporting 500,000 small business customers experiencing these unprecedented challenges in the current pandemic. So, Anna, thank you for joining me today. And I've got to, first of all, ask you and welcome you to all of our listeners. What inspired you to come up with this idea about NAB Business Fit? Thank you, Andrew. 98% of businesses in this country are small businesses and they employ uh, two out of every three workers. And they're absolutely the soul of our local communities. We know that where small business flourishes, um, so does the area. And we know that they're absolutely suffering now, nationally, across industries. And as the largest and leading small business bank in Australia, we have a duty of care to provide support in any way that we can. Business fit is so important and part of this effort. Well, let's get into it with today's guest. Uh, Our guest on the NAB Business Fit podcast lives and breathes small business, but in a big business kind of way. People, purpose and innovation are at the core of everything he does. How about this for accolades? He's the MD of the hottest fintech in the region. He's father to Ella, Yasmin and Leo. He's been voted Executive of the Year by CEO Magazine, Managing Director of the Year and also Australian HR Champion of the Year. His company even has a song that's been sung by Sam Mack, which we'll talk about. So Trent Innes, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm really excited to have a bit of a chat with you and Anna. Now, this is going to people audio and podcast. There's a video cast as well. And for those who are watching on the video, you've got some very funky designs. Anna and I are feeling a little bit undone. So tell me, what's going on in the background? Is this, is this a zero innovation? Uh, so it actually was an innovation that Zero did. So we actually have a we have an amazingly talented team called The Hub that actually does all our design work. And uh, I put a challenge out to them when everyone found themselves on Zoom, how can we make it a bit more fun? Uh, and also potentially how can we hide people's bedrooms sometimes because not everybody wanted to show their bedrooms all the time. So uh, I actually originally said to them, you know, does Zoom actually uh, have uh, any advertising that we can actually use? And they said, no, they don't. But what we could do is come up with some really cool backgrounds. So we, we created this for our partner network of accountants and bookkeepers. And there's a whole range of different ones. There's ones with crazy cats flying around. There's a one you can see now with thought bubbles coming out of my head. There's one where you're pretending you're at one of our road shows. 
uh, and it was always to have a bit of fun, really. And so our partners have actually really taken to them and uh, and shared them with their clients as well. So they've got a little bit viral, which is great. It is fun, and I know that's something that you really bring into the workplace. But before we talk about work and specific, some of the challenges small businesses are facing, and some of the support Zero has given them, let's dig into a little bit more about you. As you've got, if, if anyone's watching this, it looks like you're at Eurovision. It's very, it's like heaps of stuff going on behind you. So the question I'd like to ask you personally, how are you starting your day now and how is that different to what it was pre-COVID? So my day probably hasn't changed greatly. I might be getting up slightly later than I used to and clearly I don't go to the airport anywhere near as much as I used to, but I'm a bit of a creature of habit. So I do exercise every morning. I kind of find that if I go out for a run, it's a, it's not just the physical exercise, it's actually the, the, the meditation almost as well. So you kind of meditate when you run and it's and so I do that every day. I'm a very big creature of habit. So I go out for anywhere from sort of 40 minutes to, to sort of an hour and a quarter most, most mornings. And uh, generally, I'm generally up at about 5.30. So it hasn't really changed greatly. And I find that really refreshes my mind for the day, helps me concentrate on what I need to get done um, and then get back into the... Uh, back into sort of uh, the, the normal chaos now of uh, back-to-back Zoom meetings. I can hear some small business owners listening to this, Arna and Trent going, but I'm too busy to go for a run in the morning. You don't understand. I've got so much on. So has that been a habit or a skill set you've always done? Have you always really started the day in a, in a mindful, energetic way to then get into work? Or is this something that's that's evolved? No, it's probably only really... Um... It's really only probably taken off the last sort of four or five years. I, about four years ago, I decided um, that I wanted to run a marathon. And uh, so then I had to learn how to run pretty much or actually get running to a certain distance. And so that sort of took me and then, then, it, then it became a habit. But I think it's the, best, it's the best part of the day early in the morning. So because you've actually got the world to yourself almost. And so you can, you can get up early. And so I know a lot of people say they haven't got enough time, but you can just get up earlier. And the other great thing is because I, I travel historically traveled so much for work you can always take a pair of runners with you and uh, and, and and a running top and almost run anywhere although i'll be honest there's a couple of cities i've probably run in that i probably shouldn't have in the dark but uh you learn that the hard way you have that you almost have that shield on of protection don't you when you're in a strange city you do we're, we're very blessed so i'd like to to go back with two things one i think a lot of people know about is the zero story so you might just be able to fill us in on that from a dining room sure. table in wellington to now you know one of as i said one of the region's leading fintechs but the story I'd like to know a little bit more about you. So we go back to, you know, as growing up in Melbourne, did you at you know, year 10 is normally around 15 years of age where they say, you know, to a young Trent, young Anna, young Andrew, what do you want to do when you grow up? Did you say, yeah. I want to be an accountant? Were you that clear back at that age? I'd love to say that was the case, but it wasn't really. It was probably the only thing I was really good at at school. And so I was actually quite good at, quite good at numbers. I probably really wanted to be if I'm honest, I think when I was growing up, I really wanted to be a pilot for some reason, but I wasn't very, I wasn't very good at sciences. So I, uh, that I, got, I couldn't really, uh, I couldn't really do very well with chemistry and physics. So I ended up uh, more mathematics side and, and, and accounting. And I quite, I actually genuinely love accounting. I know that might sound a bit bizarre, but you speak to accountants, they will say that there's something quite magical about accounting balancing when you balance something off. And it's quite, the irony at the moment is my oldest daughter, you mentioned Ella before, she's doing first year uni at the moment and she's actually doing accounting for the first time. And it gave me the biggest smile the other day because she got her balance sheet to balance and I got a text saying, dad, it balanced. And so she was really, uh, she was really excited. And I, I understand that excitement around, around accounting. There is, there is something magical about it. Well, I think the theme that really bubbles out doing research for you, but talking to you about that is passion, right? If you can rock up to any any job, whether you you know, have a, a coffee shop, if you're a florist, if you've got a building business or you're do, dealing with numbers, you're working in a bank, 
passion fuels you, doesn't it? It really does help you get through what makes the easy days easier, but the challenging days, I think you can tap into that purpose and really think, why am I doing this and how can I make a difference? So I really like like hearing you talk about how passionate you are. I'm going to bring the song up. I mentioned it at the start. Okay. Before I play this, would you like to just set the frame for me? Sam Mack with a guitar. It's all about making accounting sexy. So how did this, this evolve? Yeah, so, so look, we've just been through the end of financial year, being the 30th of June, and, that, and that's the busiest time for accountants and bookkeepers. And this year, except, you know, was even more busier than it's ever been for them because they'd gone through JobKeeper and they were really acting as the buffer between government stimulus um, and, and the small business owners. And they've, they've had a pretty tough last six months. Um, and sometimes I think a lot of the work they do goes unrewarded to a certain degree, but they've been working, they've just been working their butts off. And so we just thought, why not have a little bit of fun uh, at the end of the year and do something a little bit different. And so that's where the idea came from. It was a, one of one of the people in my really talented comms team said to me, I've got this great idea for a song. I'll admit when I first heard it, I wasn't hundred percent convinced, but it's great. It's just a I'm playing it now. Song I'm singing to my bookkeeper and accountant. I knew that it was love. When you logged me into my gov. Oh, take me into that portal, baby. I, trust I, I don't know whether Sam Mack has been asked to play many other songs about, you know, love and the accountant and bookkeeping time, but it does bring a real passion. It brings a real fun. I hear ZeroCon, uh, you know, obviously at the time of recording date stamp this, we're at COVID, so all of our, our conference are virtual, but I hear your last ZeroCon was a sight to behold and you had people really in the aisles wanting to get in. So you've created a, an exciting event, not just for ca- accountants, but for other people wanting to run their businesses. Yeah, so, so ZeroCon's very much aimed at accountants and bookkeepers, and it's a real celebration of the industry where we get to share sort of the latest and greatest things we're working on. But it's bigger than that. It's actually a, a community. A bit like small business, a lot of accountants and bookkeepers are sole practitioners. And so it's a great opportunity to build a community for them to actually work together and support each other. Uh, and that's really what ZeroCon is all about. And that's actually gone very virtual. Now there's an amazing, thriving Facebook community where they all support each other. It's like there's well, over five or 6,000 of them now in that community just in Australia alone that, that, that support each other each and every day. But ZeroCom is all about really building that community um, more, than, more than anything else, really. What, what song are you going to bring out next year? Which Australian artist, which overseas artist, maybe ACDC, Bon Jovi? <laughs> I think given we were founded in New Zealand, there's a fair chance there'll be pressure for Crowded House, I would have thought at some stage, or Split Ends, but we'll see how we go. Yeah, sounds good. Good choice. Thank you, Trent. Now, Andrew has already mentioned um, the word COVID and um, so let's talk about the pandemic, something that uh, none of us could have predicted um, last year and it is the most topical issue nationally and internationally, especially in the business um, community. Yet um, Zero seems um, to be doing quite well through these unprecedented times and I'm just really interested, Trent, to hear from you around you know, how have you adapted? How have you innovated? And how did you get to a position where um, during the worst um, pandemic uh, this century, zero ends up cracking the $100 share price? Uh, I've given up a long time ago trying to understand how the share market works. So I won't, mm-hmm. uh, I, 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 I won't talk about that or touch on that. But um, look, I think... Um, Look, see, clearly you're correct. I mean, nobody could prepare for us for being in a, in a pandemic. And, uh, you know, one of the sayings I've been using a lot lately is there's, there's no leadership books out there about how to manage in a pandemic. And so, you know, we're, we're all learning, as, as, especially as leaders, I think. And it's been an interesting learning curve. 
this year. I think we really just took the perspective of, first of all, making sure that our people were safe and secure and they were set up to be able to work to work from home. We're very fortunate on the basis that we are all cloud-based as a business. We're a relatively young company. So our people have always had the ability and option to work from home anyhow. It's very different when you tell them they have to work from home. That's a very different, psychologically, that's a different thing. But they've, they've been very well set up to be able to do that. Then the next gear after that was how do we actually best help our partners, being accountants and bookkeepers, and, and our small business customers as best as we possibly can. So we pivoted really quickly to build uh, a number of tools into our, into our products. So when JobKeeper was announced, uh, we wanted to try and make that as easy as it possibly as it could possibly be for our small business customers to get access to government stimulus. So we built all those eligibility tests um, and JobKeeper into our payroll system so they could actually do that online and make it really easy for them because there was so much information coming down from the government and the accounts and bookkeepers were trying to distill that down to small business. So we wanted to help there. Uh, and we also put uh, together what we call a business continuity hub, mm. which is basically getting all that information into a centralised place to try and make it as easy as possible for our accounts and bookkeepers to small businesses you know, to act in this, in, in this way. And also we did quite a lot of guides and you know webinars and things like that to try and, and, and help, help educate them. So you really had to react very quickly, I suppose. Correct. But also what I'm interested in, uh, Trent, and it's something that, you know, we are struggling with uh, here in Victoria in particular with the stage four restrictions is um, the, that lack of face-to-face contact mm-hmm. that our staff have and that they've started to really miss having now worked from home for many months in a row. So how do you keep that staff engagement up and, and that sense of connectivity between your teams and, and ensuring that they remain not just productive but also really creative? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, there's, 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 no, there's no doubt it's hard. I think you just have to try harder than ever at the real basic stuff about trying to connect things. And so a couple of things that I do um, – I get I, I randomly drop into team meetings from all over the over the business to try and hear what's going on because I'm missing the hallway conversation and the kitchen conversation and not I'm not missing formal meetings I've still got plenty of formal meetings it's the informal meetings that I'm missing and you've got to be very deliberate about how you do that and try to actually you know call and check 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 in on people how, how does that go I can just imagine people in a meeting and suddenly the CEO drops in you're talking about whatever, let's say someone's talking about the weekend event and suddenly your face pops up. Uh, what response do you get? So we've got a very flat structure anyhow. So they're used to seeing me. So we don't really have a lot of hierarchy in the business and that's been quite deliberate by its nature. And uh, so I don't, I don't think it actually freaks, I don't think it freaks them out. Or I hope it doesn't freak them out. Um, you know, some of the other traditions we keep going, you know, we're still, we're very in a fortunate position. We're still hiring people. And so we're still creating jobs. And so I meet all our new starters uh, every week on a Monday as well. So I spend time with them, which I love doing, but also just to make sure they feel comfortable that there it must be a really big thing to start a role at a new company and not actually go to physically go to an office. And so you basically cross your hallway and start the day. And that must be very, you know, daunting for them. So I want to make sure that's as, as good as it could possibly, as it could possibly be for them. As, as well. And then, then I think we've just tried to have a bit of fun. And you know, my overarching message to everyone is just do, do the best you can. We can't expect more than that at the moment. It's not, you know, I think we are just trying to support people as best we possibly can because they're all going through different scenarios. We've got some people who live at home by themselves who are very isolated. We've got people with young, you know, children, you know, that are not at childcare at the moment that are running rampant in their homes, you know, with both parents working. We've got people with teenage kids or kids that are trying to homeschool. So everyone's got, and in some places, you know, I look after our Asian businesses. Well, we've got some people still live at home with their parents from a you know, very much from a cultural perspective and trying to explain to your parents what you do for a job can be quite interesting sometimes as well. And so all of a sudden, you know, we, 
we've talked a lot in the past about the ability for people to have a work-life balance and work from home. But when you're forced to work from home, that's almost taken away from you. And so um, we've just been, as I said before, just said to our people continuously, just do, just do the best you can. That's all we can expect from you. And uh, if anything, uh, our employment and employee engagement during this time has gone up. That's interesting you say that because our, our engagement up has gone up significantly yeah. because people are finding a real purpose um, in what they're right. doing. But the one thing that you did mention was around the difficulty in onboarding uh, new staff. I've brought on board over 200 bankers over the last wow. couple of months and they've never met their boss, yeah. they've never met their team. <laughs> Um, that they're supposed to work with collaboratively every day, um, all day. How are you? How are you dealing with that trend? Oh, you've just got. I think I said before, you've just got to be very deliberate about it. You've just got to make sure you go out of your way to be very to be very deliberate. Um, I think um, you know all the things that you would maybe take for granted. You've got to be a little bit more stringent around onboarding and making sure people feel that they're getting onboarded, you know, correctly. And so that's the way we've dealt with that to date. Um, and I think it seems to be going pretty well. So I, mean, I think people are, people are definitely still, you know, onboarding well. Uh, they're, in, they're still well engaged. You know, definitely, you know, every time the news comes out, like it did last weekend in, in Melbourne, it takes a dint on people, mm. you know, and uh, you've just got to try and keep them upbeat, keep, keep them motivated as best you possibly can and try to also allow them to take, to take a break as well. I think it's really important to take a break. I know I took, a, no, I took last week off, which is the first week off I've had since January, and it, I came back a completely refreshed person. I... If I look back, probably the week before that, I probably wasn't operating at my best. It wasn't the uh, it wasn't the best version of myself at that stage. I think there's a lot of people leaning in now, going, "I think he's talking to me," as a small business owner. And, and interesting hearing both of you talk about engagement has gone up for your companies. For small business owners, let's say there's one, five, or ten people, they often feel that they can't drop the tools, yeah. whatever the tools are. So I'm interested, Trent, what would your advice be to someone listening to this who is running a small business? What would you tell them to do to look after their physical and psychological well-being? Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? I think, I think interesting enough, though, regardless of the size of your business, the fundamentals of business actually don't change. So they're actually, the businesses get bigger. And, you know, uh, Anna and I are both very fortunate. We work for large environments where we have a certain probably level of protection that a small business doesn't always have. Um, and they're facing levels of uncertainty that they've probably never seen before. And, you know, I think anyone who's a small business owner has to be resilient by nature. And I get amazed by how, how, how resilient they typically are, but they clearly couldn't have seen this coming. What's fascinating is that there are some businesses out there that are actually thriving in this environment. We're talking to some online businesses that are absolutely going gangbusters. Then on the flip side, you've got the extremes. You've got some that just can't operate this environment. If you're saying hospitality potentially or arts and recreation. And so there are, there are a lot of variations going out there. But I think the first thing is, and this is hard to say sometimes, it's easier to say than do, but you've got to be kind to yourself first. If you're not kind to yourself first and look after yourself first, it's really it's almost impossible to operate in any other way. And that might mean sometimes that you may need to get some external help if you're not feeling the, the best as well. And there's, I don't think there's anything to be shameful about that. And I think one of the things I love these days is that even in a corporate environment we talk about well-being like we never have and when i first started my career no one talked about well-being mm. no one talked no one talked about mental health in the workplace whereas now we do um, and we definitely talk a lot to our accountants and bookkeepers and the small business community about that we have a strong relationship with beyond blue as well and you know one of these we're really um adamant about is how do we actually allow the small business community to have better access to some of the resources that bigger businesses take for granted sometimes yeah and i, I reiterate that for anyone who is listening to this and they are struggling and the, the, the typical middle-aged male who feels that if they put their hand up, it's not a weakness, 
Uh, it's a strength to put your hand up. So please, if you are struggling and you feel like it is really tough, go get some support, reach out. And that's a big part of NAB Business Fit as well. There's a whole lot of resources on this site for physical and psychological wellbeing and also resources if you are struggling, where to go and get some support in a confidential manner as well. Interesting to hear you Trent, talk about self-care and you've just come on the back of a holiday and look, I'm, I'm having one next week. I'm having a couple of days off and I'm hanging out for it. But you often don't realize you're cooked or you know overloaded or a bit too stressed until you go on holiday. Then you come back and go, everything's clear. You know, do that new product, do this, that person, have a conversation. You feel like you've got a superpower or another sense when you're rested and recharged. I'm interested. Do you put that in your diary? So if if we looked at your calendar in a year ahead or in a year a, a year view, do you take regular breaks or do you just take them when you're feeling really tired? Uh, no, I tend to take regular breaks. I've, I've got school-aged children so that they tend to centre around school holidays like a lot of people do. I mean, obviously, when I take a holiday, I want to spend time with my children. And so, you know, they're, they're, pretty, they're pretty regular on that, on that basis. So I normally take a couple, couple of weeks off in September and try and escape the end of the Melbourne winter if I could possibly can, if I'm lucky enough to. Uh, and then obviously I take time typically at Christmas and Easter just to, to be with my kids. And speaking of your kids, I believe there was an incident recently where – Working from home, you ended up in the car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, ama- I'm amazed that actually made it into the newspaper. I'm not quite sure how that got in there, but uh, it was true. I, um, I've actually, I've got uh, my children, I've got one in first year uni, I've got one doing VC, and I've got one in primary school. So my children, are, I've, got, I've got all three covered uh, in, in, in different ways. And it was the, uh, the one in first year uni that said everyone had to get out of the house so she could actually do her exam in quiet, so she couldn't be disrupted. Fascinating enough, though, when I do a podcast or if I do a video thing, they, they're quite happy to interrupt me, but uh, it's not uh, it's not re- reciprocal. So it is true. I did sit in my car and did, did, uh, was working in my car for half a day. Trent, I had a four-year-old that was screaming at my door whilst I was doing a live interview with ABC, so I hear you. <laughs> well, I, think we've, I think we've all been there. And do you know what? I kind of like it. I actually think... We've now, in the past, we might have almost judged people for that, whereas now we've actually yeah. taken and it's accepted and we've forgiven them. And that's, they are exactly. part of our life. Our, our, our environment is part of our life. And so if anything at the back of this, I hope we learn from that and we, and we, and we don't lose sight of that. Remember that BBC interview that's now had over 40 million downloads, the North yeah. Korean that's correspondent, great. he's got his family in the background and he actually, I've read that he thought he was going to lose his job, but everyone said, no, bring this humane touch. So I think we're all having our sort of BBC moments right now. Interesting, you said just before, I don't know how that made the paper. Something else I do want to talk to you about making the paper, and you probably know where I'm going here, is with coffee cups. I do. Was that a massive misquote? That was a massive misquote. So it was taken way out of context. And so I did a, um, I did a podcast. And so, uh, so if people reach out to me and ask me if, you know, we, could you do a podcast for us? I'm always happy to. And I always try and oblige wherever I can, regardless of what size it is. I think it's great if I can hopefully inspire someone with a story that Zero's done. I think that's, that's a great thing. And this was a, a podcast for scale-ups. Uh, and I'd never actually met the person that was interviewing before. Actually, funny enough, I did the interview in my car on the side of the road. I know exactly where I was. And, uh, that question came up, you know, how do you, how do you interview people and what do you look for? And one of the things, you know, I, taught, I said skills, knowledge and experience are all super important, but the one thing I always like to look for when I interview people is, is, is attitude. I actually love to know attitude and how they're going to fit in to, to the environment. And, um, and I said, one of the things I quite often love to do is when, I, uh, when I'm interviewing someone is before we sit down to do the formal interview, as I love to walk them out to the kitchen, have a chat to them on the way. You know, they normally end up with a tea, a coffee, a soft drink, a water, whatever it might be, whatever they, whatever they like. Uh, and, then, um, 
and, during, and then we walk back to do the formal interview. But during that time, I quite often learn more about them in a relaxed environment. Uh, and it also rela- it relaxes them down as well before we actually do the formal interview and you get to see the real person quite often. And, where, um, and, I, and then I said at the end of the interview, this was the, this was the throwaway line, I said, and I always get fascinated to know if people are offered to take their cup back to the kitchen. Because we have a bit of a saying inside uh, Zero, which is one of my sayings is, uh, wash your own coffee cup. And it basically means you know, no one's ever too important to wash their own coffee cup. And it's kind of, it's a really basic throwaway line. And the person that interviewed me said, so you test people. And I, and I did, and that was the word that got me in trouble because um, I never used that word myself. Mm-hmm. Of course, I would hire someone that wouldn't wash their own coffee cup. And that's, that's ridiculous. I wouldn't hire someone because of that. Uh, but that's how it was taken. And it went viral. And uh, I think it got viewed by 450 million people over a two-week period and was translated into like 18 different languages. So it was, it was on Chinese TV. It was on TV in the US. It went, it went, it went nuts. <laughs> Australasian CEO recruits people based on the coffee cup challenge. That was that was basically what it, what it came out like, but uh, there was actually a downside to it as well. Um, it actually did get onto some other sites as well, and uh, they, it actually dragged in my children and my wife into it as well. And so I'm happy to take the bullets for something I might have said or been misquoted on, but unfortunately, um, there was a fair bit of I, I did uh, I did actually see a fair bit of social hate come through off the back of that to my kids, which was not very pleasant. How do you handle that? Because the 15 year old who wanted to be a pilot but then ended up doing accounting and is now making bringing yep. sexy back in accounting. And then you started working at Zero about seven years ago, and we'll, we'll, we'll dig into that soon. But then now you you do have a profile. Um, it's a, it's an amazing success story. How do you keep that buffer between being Trent the family member and, and sort of Trent the CEO? So I think what you see what you see from me is exactly how I am. So one of the things I've loved about my time at Zero, and I was very fortunate. I, when I joined Zero Australia, I was like employee number thirty odd. And so it was very, you know, small at that stage. Nobody knew who we were. They thought we were a photocopy sales company at that stage. Um, and so I've been very lucky to be on that, on that journey the whole way through. And I've absolutely loved the journey. And I'm very, you know, very thankful and very fortunate to, to be on it. Um, but what, one of the things I do love the most is that um, I really believe in being an authentic leader. And so what you see is what you get. I am, this, this is who I am. You know, I walk around in t-shirts. I don't, you know, I very rarely wear a shirt. Um, you know, I, I'm uh, very approachable. I'm going to try to be as authentic as I possibly can, but can be. I know, I think early in my career, there was almost a point where I had, there was a kind of a, a work persona and a home persona and you kind of had to switch modes. And I actually really didn't like the work persona that much, if I'm honest, in the early days of my career. And I'm fortunate now in a position where I don't have to do that and really encourage others around me to be the same way as well. So, so I'm the same person in both scenarios. Hi, we hope you have been enjoying this podcast so far. Don't forget that we have plenty more podcasts and content just like this on NAB Business Fit. Go to www.nab.com.au forward slash business fit for more content to support your physical and psychological well-being and to help you take care of business. Mm. So employee number 30, what, what number was Andy Lark? He was after me. So I was in the early 30s. He came in uh, quite a few years after me. But he used to do a bit of consulting work in the early days with Rod. So the founder of Rod Drury um, knew him before that. That's where I first heard about this business. It was booming. Andy, you know, being Andy, was like, oh, it's, it's amazing. It's great. And so <laughs> from employee number 30 to how many employees do you have now? 
uh, in Australia, we're over 800. So I was early 30s and we're now well over 800. So it's, it has grown significantly. What's made the biggest difference? Because a lot of small business owners, I'm a small business owner, we dream of scale, we dream of leverage. Mm. And um, I think there's a reality or there's a difference, right, between running a good small business and having a lifestyle and the entrepreneurial startup yep. to, to have a unicorn. But for those that want the, the, the big unicorn, sort of yep. big scale, global domination experience, what do you think Zero has done to go from what you've seen to go from thirty to now eight hundred plus? Yeah, and so actually we're well over three thousand globally, by the way, too. So actually, you know, quite a global success now as well. Um, and you know, originally, I was originally founded in, in, in New Zealand by, by Rod Drew back in two thousand and six. Um, I think there's a look. I think there's a lot of things. I think um, there was great timing to solve a problem that was there to be solved. And so, accounting historically for small business was actually very difficult. Um, it was it was expensive. Uh, and so as a result, a lot of them actually didn't do it. But the reality is the biggest reason small businesses fail is they actually don't understand their, their financial position. That's, that's the number one reason. And so this really democratized technology and made it a service rather than a technology almost. And so, you know, historically you had to go and get a CD and install it and put your software on and go and get your bank statement and key it in and all those things now you laugh at. And that actually wasn't that long ago. It's not whereas, that long ago. And no, I can remember doing that uh, 10 years ago, even less. Whereas we were very lucky that you know, our founders had that vision and could see that convergence of technology. It was right at the beginning of cloud computing coming out. It was right when the iPhone was coming out as well. So mobility was taking off and you could see the direction of where it was going. Uh, and then just yeah, had, had, had a fantastic solution. And then, then I think off the back of that is how do you actually take it to market? Because you have a great idea, but taking it to market is always the, the interesting one. And uh, so I think one of the things about taking it to market was working out what is the natural channel that we should work with. So let's, so we worked with accountants and bookkeepers to actually really empower them and to make them more successful as well. And then we've actually built it all together and, and, and built this community around the outside of it. And so um, that's really the, the trick in terms of the company itself and scaling. I think, you know, Rod was very clever in bringing people in around him that had the skills that he didn't have. Um, and so he did that from the very early beginning because uh, scaling a company is very different than starting a company. Mm. And I think people forget that sometimes and it is very different. A lot of companies stall or fail or opt out at about 30 people. That's a kind of magical number, 30 to 50. It gets, it gets different. It gets difficult. It gets different. And so you've got to start scaling for growth and you've got to start bringing in good corporate hygiene and practice. It doesn't mean you have to be a corporate per se, but you need to start bringing in those sort of business disciplines in there to actually help you scale. Because um, you start breaking things, you start breaking processes, you start breaking people to a certain degree as well because they end up doing too many too many variations in their role, and so you've got to start thinking about you know what can you bring in to help scale and uh, you know things that scale really well purpose scales value scale um, you know partnership scale uh, and you just keep challenging yourself around you know in, you just keep innovating you know your whole business model all the time and if and if you've got a mindset to be able to do that then you can scale and grow. Trent, one of the key voice, voice of the customer that we get in regards to this when it comes to growing a business and kind of even putting aside the, the COVID impacts now is around the role of uh, regulation and red tape and bureaucracy um, in Australia. It's kind of one of the strongest voices of the customer that I get on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, can you um, talk to us a little bit about how you've dealt with that as you scaled your business upwards? Yeah, so the average small business owner in Australia spends at least 10 hours a week on compliance. That's right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. so it's quite, it, it, is a large, um, it is a large burden for them and it's something we have tried to reduce as much as possible, especially from the accounting sphere. 
um, because if you look at all the processes that sit around the outside for small business owners, there's a massive amount of friction that's created around there. And so we try, we've been trying to remove that friction um, over the years and try and make it as seamless. And so the data flows in and out and they get real-time insight. So I used an example before, bank, bank feed data. So historically, you took a statement and you keyed it in, uh, generally at the end of the month, the end of the quarter, and so you had no idea what your financial position was. Now you wake up and your bank feed data is already sitting in there. Your, your nav account flows straight through into zero. You open up zero and you can actually see your financial position instantly. And so that was, um, yeah, that's an example of removing some burden of compliance around them. Now, of course, on top of that, there is a lot of burden of compliance uh, from a government and regulatory perspective. Um, as well, and you know, quite often some of the forms a small business fills in are the same forms that a large, a large top ASX 100 company fills in, which is quite crazy. But you know, we are working really closely with government to advocate to how we actually do that. And I actually sit on a deregulation task force mm-hmm. around that, so it's actually something that I'm really passionate about, I'm, and I'm working with government on how we actually remove red tape. And the other issue we're talking about small business is also the fact that small businesses often cannot afford those enabling services of uh, HR, finance advice, etc. because the business owner is a marketing manager, is a CFO, yeah. is the accountant, is the HR leader, etc. So it, it's, it's really, really challenging as you're kind of looking to grow. So Trent, have you ever owned a business yourself? For a very short period of time. And it, how did that go? It failed, it failed dismally. <laughs> um, so, no, I actually did have a business for about six months. Look, it didn't, it didn't so much fail. It was one of those moments where um, uh, we had a young toddler at home at that stage, my oldest, yeah. and then I decided to quit my job. I had this great idea, started up, got going, um, and then, of all things, my wife, my, my wife became pregnant with child number two, and it just got to a stage where we had to make a decision about whether we, I could keep going or not, and, uh, and, I, and I ended up opting out. But there's still hope for me because the average age of a small business owner creator in Australia is 45. Okay. So that is actually the average age of a, of a business creator in Australia. And there's a second wave at 55. So there's still hope for me yet to actually create a business. I've still got a couple of opportunities. That, that goes against the Silicon Valley, walking around the sneakers, pimply kid with the baggy pants just for his school, doesn't it? 45 starting and then 55. Is that a second wind or a second crack? Um. That's what the, the stats sort of show us. We did, a, uh, we did some analysis last year with Bernard Salt from the Demographics Group who actually went through the last 30 years of business creation. It was actually back in February this year. It was a great report called Boss Insights um, that we put together. It's probably the most comprehensive report ever that I've seen on, the, on creation and entrepreneurship in, in, in Australia. Uh, and that was actually one of the things that showed us. So we looked at things like, you know, um, ethnic background, you know, um, gender, age, you know, for all these early sort of business creation. And it was uh, 45 was, was the average. And so what we think that is, is a lot of it, there are people that decide, you know, the children have started to grow up. They may have paid off their mortgage. They may just be jack of working for people now and they actually want to go out on their own and have a crack. So we think that is the, the catalyst for it. And then 55 would kind of line up with that potentially as, as well. You know, you've still got, you've got that niggling idea in your head that you've been thinking about for years and now's the time to go and have a go. Or you might become a... Um, you, know, you might go into consulting for yourself, whatever it might be. You just you don't want to work full time anymore. There's a, there's a host of reasons. So, Trent, for all those that are uh, thinking that way, you have just acquired Waddle. I am super, yes. super keen to hear about it, as I'm sure the small business community across Australia is as well. Can you talk to us about Waddle? Yeah. So, what, so one of the biggest challenges for small business, as I'm sure you know, Anna, is actually getting uh, getting access to finance and especially working capital. So, working capital is one of the biggest challenges for them. And we talk a lot about you know Absolutely. we talk a lot about late payments. Mm-hmm. Um, late payments is one 
problem for small business, but really um, what the big problem for is, is the cash flow gap. It's the gap between what they receive and what they have to pay and managing that gap. And so what we wanted to do is, uh, so Waddle is a, is, is, a, is a platform that allows them, and it works with a multitude of lenders in the background, so it's not you know, specific to one lender, but allows small business owners to actually lend against their, uh, their invoice book. Uh, and we've got obviously all the invoice data sitting within zero and we're trying to really facilitate for them to try and get uh, better better access to working capital for small business because it's one of the biggest inhibitors for them growing. Wonderful. Something I'd like to ask you, and this might be a bit of a different question that you uh, don't always get asked in an interview, but when do you look back, because it's easy to talk about business and everything we've got right, when you look back, what's one of the things you haven't got right or what's one of the biggest challenges you've had with either work or personal and also what have you learned from that? That's a, that's a really good question. I think I've actually been quite lucky personally. I think I haven't really had any major, major challenges that I could think of that would you know, be any, any different than anybody else's. And I, I, I tend to try and look at the positive of stuff in here. Ra- ra- raising children is interesting. Uh, that's got its highs and lows. It's massively, massively rewarding and uh, has its days where it's not so rewarding. And everybody can, uh, I'm sure anyone who's a parent can, 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 can relate to that. But overall, it's better than worse. Um, from a business perspective, I think probably um, I've loved my time at Zero, and I'm still really enjoying what I'm doing. Cause it's very purpose driven, and we're actually you know we're creating things, and I love I love I love that. Um, we're creating jobs for people. You know, we're creating a sort of next generation tech company that people can aspire to do. Probably earlier in my career, if I look back now, I probably didn't take enough risk early on and I didn't actually go out and be true to myself. I probably hung around in some other roles in my earlier career a bit longer than I probably should have. And that's probably, if I had my time over again, um, I probably would have taken a bit more risk a bit earlier. So was that a bit self-doubt or did you just need a bit more time to get experience? And, you know, that self-efficacy is a beautiful psychology construct, which really means power to take decisions and really chart your own territory. Was there a little niggling doubt? Probably. I think we all have it. I mean, I think everyone's, you know, I've, I've talked publicly about imposter syndrome a little bit as well. I think people don't talk about that a lot, but I think, I think most, one of the great things about my job is I've met some amazing leaders, whether it be, you know, in, in from a government landscape, from big business to sporting stars. I've actually been very, I've met some amazing people over the last couple of years as their zero profiles risen. And what's fascinating when you get to meet them, they're generally just people and one of the trends you see quite often then is that sort of underlying doubt of a bit of imposter syndrome. It's actually, it's quite common. They might, when you see them maybe on TV or you see them in the paper or you see them on stage, they come out really confident and out there. But when you actually meet them one-on-one, that's not always the case. And I think it's okay to talk about that. I think we need to talk about that more often. So we don't discourage people that may have a bit of self-doubt from putting themselves forward when an opportunity comes up, because you really want to hire someone into, into a role who hasn't got upside. I don't, I don't want to hire people that are the com- complete package. I want people who've got growth. Because if you're going to grow, you want people who've got growth. And so the only way you're going to have growth is actually have a bit of up, upside in you, which means you've probably got a bit of self-doubt about whether you could be successful or not. And you hear there's a lot of studies on this. that This affects, it tends to affect females a lot more than males. Uh, and, and there's a lot of it. But I, still, I think it probably affects males as, as well. But I think it's all these things are good for us to be talking about to try and encourage that next person to come through. It's an interesting seesaw, the self-doubt, confidence seesaw, because you're spot on. A lot of high performers, I think we watch them on the sporting field, on the stage, read about them, listen to them, think, oh, she's amazing. Her life must be just this pristine, wonderful life. He's got everything. But I think high performers have as many insecurities, sometimes more, right? If if someone's driven by fear or self-doubt, it can be this burning desire to achieve 
But then when you achieve, you don't sometimes sit back and reflect. So is that something you build into your practice? Do you regularly pause, reflect, and take stock of where you've come and where you're potentially going to next? I, never, I, I still don't think I ever sort of see myself as that person, as, a, as an MD or a CEO. I kind of don't really look at it that way very often. I don't think, I think I'm just kind of lucky. I mean, I think the way I look at even the environment zero, we we all have a job to do. Our jobs are all slightly are all slightly different, but it's just it's a different type of job. And it doesn't mean I'm more important than anyone else in any way, shape or form. We're all important. We all play an important role. We just do different things. You mentioned the word authenticity a few times today, and it bubbles out from the moment we you know, met you before we even recorded. And you said, oh, am I dressed okay? <laughs> T-shirt <laughs> and jeans is great. So talk to me about authenticity and talk to me about some other values that are really important to you. And how does that not just shape you, but how does that now shape the business? Well, I think authentic leadership is 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 the, is the is the way of the future. I think you know people will follow people that are authentic. They will actually get get behind them because leadership to me is a is 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 a trait and management is a management is, is a skill you can learn. But leadership is all about people, um, and you know, it's sort of an, an, an inherent trait. And I think leadership is about being authentic. And you see, the, the best leaders you see, I think, are the ones that are very authentic. They're vulnerable. They're open. They're consistent. They're honest. You know all the all the standard traits that you like to see in in, in decent people. And I think that's you know because the way the way that you lead and the behaviours you exhibit uh, is how is the permission you give to others around you to behave as well. And so one of the things um, people we're very fortunate to have an amazing culture. And I get asked, one of the questions that get asked a lot is um, how how has Zero built such an amazing culture? And I actually don't like talking about the word culture a lot. Culture is an output. It's a bit like a profit or a loss. It's an output of all the other things you have to do and it can either be a positive culture or a negative culture. Uh, and so I try not to talk about the output, but I think what culture is, is it's kind of an output of purpose, values and, and behaviours and, and each behaviour you exhibit is a small moment of truth through the right or wrong thing. And if you're doing the right thing over time through those behaviours and your culture will build positively off the back of that and that's when you get it, you end up with a really, really, you know, empowering culture that kind of ends up with its own momentum. Um, hard to build, easy to lose as well, by the way. On the theme of empowering, I know you've written that behavior, you believe behavior is more important than values. And this quote I love, every behavior is a small moment of truth that allows you to yeah. build great culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I just mentioned that before, but that's it. Definitely, it's one that I, that, I definitely, that I definitely believe in. And I think it's really important um, as leaders that you actually do that because you do, you do cast that shadow whether you believe it or not. Um, but I think it's really important to do that in any, any opportunity. And you'll find that people will then, you know, pe pe people will then follow the behaviours that, that you exhibit. Mm. And you mentioned earlier at the start of the interview, there's no playbook. You know, there's no leadership playbook for handling a <laughs> pandemic. If, yeah. if you could write a playbook for small business owners to bring values and purpose and to look after themselves and some of the lessons you've obviously learned, some of the mistakes you've made, what would you, what would you teach people and who, who has had an impact on you in relation to leadership? Have you got any person? Is it an event? Uh, so, um, so that's a really good question. So there is no leadership book on managing a pandemic and uh, it's uh, been, you know, I've definitely looked in the bookshops and there's nothing, there's nothing there. My gut feel is there'll be a whole shelf dedicated to it within about a month or two from now. Can't, can't, be, too, can't be too long away. But I think regardless of what size business you are, in an, in an environment where things are uncertain and you're in, in uncertain times, you really need to fall back and concentrate on the things that you can control rather than things that you can't control. And so I think that's the most important. That's the most important thing that I've learned during this time. And I'm also, I think people overcomplicate leadership sometimes. 
um, leadership's actually not that hard. Isn't it? Like there's, there's thousands of books written, the 10 steps, the seven steps, five ways, you know, the, the, the Dalai Lama, everyone's got a theory on leadership. Come on, I've spent 20 years studying. It's got to be complex. Has to be. I, I, don't, I, think, people, I think people overcomplicate leadership because they try to be something they're not. And if they actually show their genuine self, that's leadership. And so uh, I try to concentrate on, on three things as a general rule, not five because I, I can't remember five things. So I try to concentrate on three. But from a high level perspective, you know, if you, regardless of what position, you know, I always go back to um, strategy, people and execution. And so they're kind of my three things that I, that I, that I focus on. If something's generally going wrong, uh, we look back at our strategy. Is our strategy correct? Did people understand what it was? Are they aligned to it? Do you have the people that can actually understand the strategy and can actually then actually work out what their role is to actually execute against that? And then the execution of that actual strategy. If something's going wrong, it's generally one or more of those things. Um, and then you can quickly come to a summation about what's going well and what's not going well. I can feel a book title brewing. The three steps to strategic leadership through a pandemic. Strategy, people, execution. I might, I might do a pamphlet rather than a, I might do a leadership <laughs> pamphlet rather than a book. Trent, when it comes to that um, uh, strategy execution, obviously, uh, in, particularly in the space of zero, it is translating into some incredible innovation work um, that you're doing despite the pandemic. And could you talk to us a little bit about the things that you've done that can potentially inspire other small businesses out there? Yeah, I think one of the great things we found is soon after we went into lockdown, um, all our people wanted to do was work out how they could help, especially our our development community. And I was so proud of them in the terms of what they did in some of the uh, work around uh, JobKeeper and eligibility tests and actually helping people connect to that government stimulus because they did that so quickly. I mean, they, they basically compressed development cycles down into like a really short, narrow window of time. They developed it over Easter. So they got, they got the specifications for that on the Thursday night before Easter uh, with a whole lot of uncertainty and then had to, you know, work their butts off to actually get that done to make sure you know, we took that pain away for our customers. But what we, the big learning from that was our people loved doing it because they thought they were genuine, they were helping there was like a real camaraderie around purpose that came out off the back of it. And so that was a real, that was a, a massive, um, a massive upside to the, to, to the scenario that, that we found ourselves in. Cause it gave our people just that, you know, it gave them something to focus on, which I think was really, really important. And that's been, that's been one of the interesting things off the back of the pandemic. I'm sure you probably face this as well. Anna, with leading, you know, a large team is, you know, keeping your people motivated, giving them, you know, a real sense of purpose, trying to find something that it, they want to get up in the morning, and get excited about rather than just doing work. You want them to actually want to do something. And uh, that, was, that was a great opportunity for that to happen. And Trent, for those um, small businesses out there that are really, really struggling, and, you know, we talk to a lot of them every single day, um, what would you say to them, being um, a prominent business leader that's done so much for the community as well? So I think it, it, I think it does depend because um, small business by its very nature is so diverse. I mean, there's nothing yes. more diverse in the business world than small business. And so it does depend heavily on what industry you're in, what location you're in at the moment. And so some of the, um, some of the encouraging things that we're seeing, we, we run a program called Zero Small Business Insights. And what that is, is an aggregated anonymous view of our customer's data and, ins- and we glean insights off that, always anonymized and always aggregated. But we can look at that by location. You know, we can look at that by, uh, by industry. Uh, and, you know, we did see a massive dramatic fall uh, in revenue and jobs back in April. So pretty much as soon yes, as the pandemic absolutely. hit, um, revenue, revenue, in small bu- small, revenue for small business was twice as badly impacted uh, as big business was. And it dropped about 11% effectively in a three-week period 
Um, but what we have seen since then is it actually has come back. And what's fascinating is that we just looked at the results for August, some preliminary results for August, and small business revenue is actually up 1.9% than August the year before. So it's actually, it is actually coming back. So there are some encouraging signs. Employment or jobs, so jobs for small businesses not yet got back to the same level, and it's still about 5% down to where it was at the beginning of the pandemic, but it is rising in the, in the right direction. Uh, Melbourne still, Melbourne and Victoria are still harder hit than the others. Um, but what we do see is when they're, when, uh, when they're actually able to open up from lockdown, it does actually come back pretty, 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 pretty quickly. So my advice would be, depending on industry, and it's really easy for me to probably say this, but stick with it. Once we get this, the health scenario under control, things do return pretty quickly. There are some fascinating things in that, in that data as well. Clearly, you know, things like hospitality and arts and recreation have been hit the hardest because they're most impacted yes. by lockdowns. The flip side of that is manufacturing in Australia is up 11% year over year in small business. So we're actually, we're manufacturing more things than we were a year ago. So let's hope for that V-shaped um, recovery that we've all been uh, talking about and hoping for. So Trent, what's next for Zero business-wise? Yeah, so we've got a really, so next week's really exciting. We've got a thing called uh, Zero, Zero One Air. So we normally run ZeroCon at this time of the year, which is our big uh, in-person event. Clearly can't run that this year. So zero on air, uh, we're running next week, which is uh, uh, where we're going to share a whole lot of innovation and things we've been working on with our, with our community. So I won't I won't give too uh, too much away for that, but that's that's next week. So it's uh, that's available to our small business community and our partners as well. So that's next for zero. What's next for you? It's the crystal ball. What's yeah. next for me? <laughs> um, oh, that's a good. That's a that's a, that's a really good question. I think I think if anything, this year has taught me. Um, it's never take the small stuff for granted ever again, you know? And I think um, the, the upside is I've got to spend more time with my kids this year and had more dinner at the table with them than I probably ever have. And um, I'm probably a bit cross to myself that it took, me, it took a pandemic for me to realise that. And so I'm going to try and do everything I can to fix that. Uh, I think um, the other thing is just taking the small things for granted. So the ability to, you know, go for a walk without a mask on or to, to go to your favourite pub and have a beer, or to go and sit down and have a coffee. You know, I think you can get swept away with the stuff. Sometimes it's bigger than it needs to be, whereas you know, hopefully hopefully we slow down a little bit and, 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 you know, don't take the small stuff for granted anymore. The wise words, I think one lesson out of this for a lot of people is do we have to go at the pace we used to go at? Do we have to travel as much as we used to travel? Do we have to always be available 24-7? And you know, it's the walk with the family or it's the waking up and just you know, going outside without a mask, you know, going outside at time of recording, stage four restrictions. It's one hour a day in Melbourne. So we can't wait for those restrictions to lift. We can't wait for industry to get going again. Um, and we can't wait to really go back to appreciating some of those things that we don't appreciate when you don't have them. No, exactly right. No, I think that's exactly my point. I think it's just mate, you know, not taking that stuff for granted ever, ever again, hopefully. So a question I like to ask all of our guests is where do you draw inspiration from? Is it a poem? Uh, some people it's a play. <laughs> it can be a quote. It could be a person. Is there somewhere, some secrets you can let on where you draw inspiration from? Uh, I think there's a, couple, I think there's a couple, couple of different things. I mean, I definitely do draw inspiration from those people, from those people around me. But one of the, one of the quotes that actually sticks with me all the time, and I haven't actually got it in front of me, so I'll, I'll, I could probably paraphrase it, is that, you know, when I used to always read to my daughter, there was a Dr. Seuss quote on the back of the wall about being truer than you or you being true to yourself or something like that. And that was one that's always stuck with me. 
And I think, you know, I, that's something definitely in this time and talking about that authentic leadership is no one, no one's, no one's newer than you. I think it was some of that paraphrase it terribly, but um, that's one that definitely sticks in my mind. We'll, we'll put a copy of that quote up if you're watching this on video. I think if in doubt, you can always go to a Dr. Zeus quote. As I've got one more question. I know we're, we're about to run out of time. Is there a question that you would like Anna and I to have asked you? Or is there a question you'd like to ask one of us? Uh, come on, I'm, I'm always um, I'm a, a pretty open book, so I'm pretty much will answer anything that I, po- I possibly can. So hopefully, uh, hopefully you got value out of this as well. Um, but I think for I mean, I'd love to know how how what what are your takeaways from the from the pandemic as well? What are the, what are what are you going to what is the one thing that you're going to change in your in your lifestyles um, that you've learned during the pandemic? I have learned a lot about resilience. I have reconnected with my husband. I have reconnected with my children, and I've had quite a bit of time to reflect. Um, about how I spend my time, uh, my level of creativity, um, how well I look after myself. And um, I think those lessons learned, and, and there have been uh, quite a few, uh, will be with me to stay for, for some time yet. That's great. Andrew? Yeah, I've got two. Uh, one is that our business has fast-tracked five years, Trent. Uh, we use Zero, so I'm a very happy user of Zero. My previous business model, I used to do 50 to 60 keynotes a year, so I'd be one of the people trying to get a, an event at ZeroCon up the stage, so one of the conference speakers, uh, doing high-end leadership programs and doing coaching. We've got a human performance lab you know, doing DNA testing, blood work, uh, body-brain coaching, fountain of youth. On Monday, 15th of March, when Morrison told us to WFH, work from home, um, I didn't need zero to show this, Trent, um, but we lost 90% of revenue overnight. Wow. No events, no leadership programs, no coaching. So we've had to, I think pivot is is at risk of being overused word. You know, every time someone uses the word pivot in a corporate setting, sometimes there's some talk about putting in a dollar. Pivot wasn't enough for us. We had to do a digital backflip and we've really... Use technology, audio, video, and now running programs with thousands of people, which I dreamt of pre-COVID. So for me, it went from, oh my gosh, what's happened to, oh, I'm going to lose the business. In fact, it was two weeks away. My accountant told me to close down and thankfully I didn't listen to her and we pushed through. So we've learned about technology to scale. And from a personal point of view, uh, my partner and I had a gorgeous little baby girl on 1st of May. So little Sophia Bonnie came into the world. I've got two older kids as well, so Archie and Michaela. And similar to you, similar to Arna, it's taught us about connection yeah. and it's taught us about right. – I am used to be on planes three, four times a week. I'm actually – I can't wait to fly again, but um, <laughs> like a little bit, you know, a little bit of flying's nice, uh, too much, not so much. But yeah, it's taught about family and connection. That's great. No, I love that. And I think that's, uh, I think that's really important and that's uh, – and once again, that stuff's actually pretty basic to do and uh, definitely the family bit obviously re- recreating your business is, is, is not but we are definitely seeing that we're seeing the acceleration of all the digitization trends uh, and we've done a bit of work on that as well and, we, and we've seen that those businesses that did pivot and did actually add digital services or that were digital natives have, have performed way better than those the, those that haven't and so I think we will see that last through this because people have found completely different markets. And I've heard some amazing stories out there that people have got online businesses that have just boomed during this time. So, so there is there is opportunity there. Unfortunately, not not for everyone, depending on what you know what what subsegment of the small business economy you're in. And Andrew, I did find the quote while you were talking there as well. 
So the doctor says, quote that I love is, today you are you, that is truer than true. There is no one alive who is youer than you. And I used to always sit there with my daughter and tell her that. And so it's on the back of her door and uh, that's stuck with me the whole way through. Great advice. Great way to finish. So Trent, thank you very much for being authentic, for living up to your values and purpose. And that came shining through in this interview today. And Anna, thank you very much as well for inspiring and also for helping anchor Nab Business Fit. Thank you. Thank you, Trent. Thank you, Andrew. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Anna. Thanks, thanks, Andrew. It's been a pleasure. Hey, it's Andrew again, and we hope you enjoyed that interview. Just a quick note to remember to please go to nab.com.au slash businessfit. We hope you really liked this episode and received lots of value, and we would love it if you can go to iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast and click on the subscribe button. We'd also really appreciate it if you share it with friends or colleagues you think might also benefit from these messages. And we'd really appreciate if you can rate and review it. We love seeing your messages and love seeing your ratings. Okay, that's it for this time. We look forward to connecting with you again on the next episode of NAB Business Fit.